So thanks all for being here tonight. Um, I'm so, so, so happy and glad and thankful that Todd and Lisa have come tonight. Um, if you don't know, I think you all probably do. Todd is the senior pastor. Super senior. Yeah, right. <laughs> See the gray hair at um, Cornerstone Church in Simi Valley. And there's... There's many ways that Todd and Cornerstone were a part of and are a part of this church here, um, but one of the many being that Todd and, and others on staff there were really encouraging and helpful in my process and Mary Beth's process of like of desiring to go out and begin a, a church plant or what we've done here in Novo. So. Um, it was—it's the coolest thing to be a part of a church association that is happy to send people out, and I don't just think that they want to get rid of people, but for the like right reasons of <laughs> spreading the gospel. So, yeah. So anyway, super glad that, that Todd's here tonight and thankful for what he and Cornerstone uh, mean to this church. And um, Todd's going to work through some of 1 Corinthians uh, 11, which is just a, it's going to be a one, one-time thing. We're not in the book of 1 Corinthians, per se, as a church. But um, really, this passage is what, um, what our Sunday night gatherings are largely based out of, or really... Um, the idea of what we do Sunday nights kind of comes from this passage in part. Um, maybe not exactly the same. In fact, I don't know that Todd or anybody knows exactly what this uh, meal looked like that, um, that the early church would participate in. But um, just so you know, like when we get together on Sunday nights, most of us, it's, um, it's, it's meant to be a similar sort of thing as to what Todd's going to teach about tonight. Todd teaches 1 Corinthians at Eternity Bible College. Um, and so he's he's a genius when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> anyway, I'll, let me pray and then uh, let Todd go. Father, thank you so much for uh, the the word that you've given to us, your revelation written to us, that we uh, can know you, that we can live as you have designed us to live, that we can give praise to who deserves the praise um, and so tonight we just come humbly to your word longing to uh, to know you and your desires more I pray that you would teach us and um, that we would uh, remember what we learned that we would put it into practice um, that we would um, just heed the words of Paul and and your spirit writing through Paul and be changed by, by what you have to teach us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Good to see so like many familiar faces. And uh, just, you know, we pray regularly for this group of people. Like, it's fun as we pray through all the different church plants and what's going on. And uh, just excited for all of you and what God's going to do. And so, anyways, it's really cool. When he asked me to be here, I'm like, heck yeah, I'll be here. Especially when he said, hey, do you want to teach something that you spend a lot of time in anyways? And I'm like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I will go there. But um, <clears throat> one of the things that I think is so important about this passage that I think every, and it's going to, I'm about ready to teach this at, Corner, at Cornerstone Simi, it, and it's going to be hard in a lot of ways is because of the baggage we bring in to what we commonly call communion, 
Okay, now, whenever we talk communion, it's usually, uh, I don't know how many of you grew up this way, but it's the time in which it's an addendum at the very end of the service, usually about 10 minutes, and it's once a month, and we quickly, you know, say, we got to get this stuff around us, we get a little wafer, we get a little shot glass of juice, and, you know, we pass it around really fast, you know, and they look all at us and said, hey, before you take this, make sure you pray, because if you have any sin in your life, you could die or get sick. And so quickly, as fast as you can, ask Jesus to forgive you so that you don't die or don't get sick. But it's a great celebration. And you're sitting there going, uh, you're juggling it off and you're drinking on it. And part of the reason that so many people don't want to teach this passage is because the way we celebrate the Lord's Supper is so different than the early church celebrated it. And again, I, I think just hearing from Jared, the way you guys celebrate it, is the correct note. Is the, it's just the way it should be, and it should be. It was intended to be this time where everybody looked around each other and said, are we good? Like, are we all right? Are we a team? Are we part of this thing together? Is there any sin we need to confess between one another? Is there anything going on that we should talk about it? Because the, actually the sin that he's talking about, sure, we're supposed to deal with the sin between us and God, but more the sin that he's talking about in this passage is between each other that y'all need to deal with stuff going on between each other in order to be the people that God intends you to be. And so for a church, and again, Cornerstone See Me does this, and we're, uh, it's something that I, I want desperately to change, is that we're supposed to slow down and look at each other's eyes. And in fact, it's probably not the awkward, formal thing that it was. Probably just everybody showed up at a house and everybody brought food. It was like potluck. And everybody would come in and the rich would generally bring a little bit more. The poor would bring a little bit less. And then they would just start mulling around and eating. And probably the elders would walk around and say, hey, just make sure that before we take the Lord's Supper, if you have any sin to deal with between you and another person before we do it, could you just make sure you walk over to them and deal with the sin? And So they would do that. And then all of a sudden in the middle of it while they're eating and probably just the bread that was at their table, one of the elders would just suddenly stand up and go, okay. And he would start to remind them who Jesus was and what 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 this whole thing is about. And they would break the bread. And then some time else during the meal, they'd grab a cup and they would slow everybody down and remind them what the cup was about. But in this, it was just intended that it, it wasn't an addendum. It was essential to the life of the church. They didn't play with this one. It was something that they did over and over. And so... Now with this, and now look down at verse 17 so we can kind of understand this. And, uh, and by the way, if you ever want to just stop me and ask question, um, I don't, Jerry was kind of telling me that's okay, so I'll let you guys do that, but you know right? Yeah, there's a fly. <laughs> I didn't fart. Did <laughs> 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 um, But let me just, let me read through this just uh, one time together, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dig into kind of what he's talking about so we can kind of understand how are you guys supposed to pull this off. So 11.17 is where we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. And uh, Paul, just he's writing, he says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, factions. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? 
What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat... How's it going? For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about other things. I will give direction when I come. Now, just real quick, when I read that text, what are just some thoughts that pop into your head immediately? Just some stuff that sticks out to you from this text. And the first verse you read, when you come together, it is not for better, but for the worse. I'm waiting for you to explain that. That's out to me. Yeah, we'll dive into that. Uh, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that one. I think that one's essential. What else sticks out? And he's obviously upset. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> the shall I commend you in this, in the coming together, in the fellowship meal with your other Christians and brothers and sisters? You, you thought we thought we were doing something, but yeah. Paul is obviously not. Yeah, he, he's like, <laughs> yeah, sure. he, he, you don't have it right. Yeah. <laughs> he's obviously upset with them. Like, he's yeah. not praising them. Yeah. <laughs> Now, what's interesting about that, that good principle, good point, like, the way I always tell people to try to imagine how Paul was dealing with this, I think we generally see Paul like this, like, you idiots, what were you thinking, and my gosh, but all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, and even 2 Corinthians, he calls himself kind of like a dad. In other words, if you could imagine just your heartbreak over, like, your kid doing something they shouldn't, and you're just like, what are you doing? Like, no, 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 that's, that's not the way it was supposed to be. This thing is way different. In fact, the way that he's wanting them to imagine this is he says on the night Jesus was betrayed. Now, just imagine for a second that night, all right? And you kind of know the story a little bit, that here's Paul, and he says on that night, he wants to beckon them all back to what it was like that night. Do you remember it? And so in it, we know that, right, all the guys came into the room. And what's the first thing they experienced when they came into the room with Jesus? Do you remember? What's the first thing they experienced? Walk into this room, he's going to celebrate. What does Jesus do? Washes his feet. That's the night. Now think about this. Here's a rhythm he's starting to develop. Do you remember that night? And here's Jesus, right? And he starts to wash their feet. He pulls them all around. He grabs the food that had been prepared. He starts serving all of them. He then, in the middle of all of it, you know, starts saying some things that the dudes had no clue what was going on. In fact, if I could pick ever a moment to be somewhere, 
Like, that's one of the things I would love to see. Like, what was going on in that room? Because then they all start to sit down. And as they sit down, they were fighting over who's going to be closest to Jesus, right? Who's the greatest? And Jesus is sitting there. He's like, do you understand? I'm about to die. And you all are sitting here fighting over who's going to sit next to me and who's going to sit here. And it's just this night that the guys had no clue what was going on. But Jesus just keeps this rhythm going. Keeps serving them. Keeps loving them keeps walking him through this process. And somewhere in the middle of that, it says he grabbed the loaf of bread and he held it up in front of him. And what would have been the Passover, this great time in which God had rescued all these people from what had happened in Egypt, that at some point they grabbed this little lamb, right? And the little lamb who hung out with them for probably about 14 or so days, lifted its head, the lamb went back, no more. But in that, right, all the kids suddenly look on the table, and there's the lamb that was the one that was sitting there, and they were playing with a little bit ago, and everybody goes, let's eat. You know, and the kids are like, I'm not going to eat fluffy. You know, it's, just, it's this weird moment. But Jesus is really telling them, you know this one that you've been hanging around with all the time? I'm about ready to be that lamb. It's about ready to be me. Now, do they get it? They don't have a clue, right? They're just going through the motions of the Passover. And Paul's beckoning back to you. Remember that night. Do you remember everything that happened? And the whole thing is calling into the remembrance this idea. Oh yeah, that's what the Lord's Supper was intended to be about. So the first thing Paul's doing, and here's what we have to understand that when we take the Lord's Supper. The first thing we have to do is we have to look backwards. Right? So when we talk about celebrating the Lord's Supper, the first thing we always do is to look back. So in other words, when we're coming in to celebrate all of you, should come in with an idea of what did Jesus look like when he showed up at the supper. And however Jesus looked at that supper, when I enter in, and I, where do you guys celebrate it? Here? Um, usually at the Pongo's house. Okay, so when you show up at the Pongo's house, the idea is just to, before even I come, to look back and go, okay, what did Jesus look like? When he came into that meal, what was it? And that's what he's trying to build this idea. And then the second thing that he does in this passage which is the, the rest of the disciples missed in this, is not only do they look back, but his next idea is going to be they look around. So in other words, I come into this place, and I start looking around. Now, if you think about it, one of the funny things about the disciples is they entered that house that night, and nobody bothered to go, you know what, I got the feet. I'll take the feet. Let me do it. In fact, all of them, it says, just kind of barged in. And you could just imagine, you know, they're getting ready to do everything, and Jesus walks up, starts washing their feet, then in other words, they weren't even thinking about the rest of the people. Now, stop for a second. Most times when you practice communion at your church, how do most people practice it at the churches maybe we grew up in? Pray. Okay, pray how? <clears throat> um, over the bread and okay. over the wine. Good, I get all alone, mm -hmm. and I just sit there with my little bread in my cup because I don't want to die. And, and I quickly go, God, you know, everything goes inward. But yet this whole passage is not about going inward until we start examining ourselves. It actually says to do what? Look around. Check it out. In fact, he's going to say, I want you to discern the body. I want you to see what's going on in regards to it, right? And so in this, he's going to lay out this idea of, okay, I want you to look around. But the next thing he's going to do, and look at verse 26, and I'll show you the next aspect of it, the, kind of the third thing. For as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until men. Okay, now just stop for a second. In Luke 22, when he was talking about, when Jesus said, we're, we're having this, he said, 
I will not eat of this, bre- this bread or drink of the vine until when? Come again. Comes again. And what's going to happen when he comes again? With feast. How, what kind of a feast? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's going to be the feast of the Lamb, right? And it's going to be... What, what's that feast going to look like? I mean, what, I it's going to be a wedding feast. Who's going to be at the wedding feast? Jesus. Good, good call. Yeah, we're going to be there. What, what are the, what's the bride us as the bride? What, what's it going to look like? The church. What else about the church do we, does it tell us? It comes from every tribe, tongue, nation, gender, color, right? In other words, now, this table, and he's just beckoning forward... Every time we eat of this meal, it's this proclamation towards this looking forward to this day when Jesus Christ comes back. And think about this. It would have been cool to be there, but it's going to be very cool when we're all sitting around this table. Whatever this table looks like. I can't even imagine a big old table that stretches through Texas or something. (laughs) But this table, and in the middle of all of it, it's going to be all of us that are the saints that Jesus has gathered. And so he says, I want you to keep doing this. And the idea of proclamation and the way we're looking at it is that feast in mind. Now think about this for a second. Okay, this is what the text is doing, and we'll get into the specifics. I want you to look back because I want you to be servants. I want you to come in, and the whole goal of it is to love one another crazily, to deal with sin amongst who you are. That's the look around part. Are we okay? Is there anything that we need to deal with? In fact, in the early church, this is one of the things they do. The elders, if they notice, like if your marriage, let's say your marriage wasn't doing well, if your marriage wasn't doing well, they would literally stop everything and say, until you two deal with problems inside your marriage, we're not going to do the Lord's Supper. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, first of all, most people started dealing with their sin before they came to the Supper. Now, that is so important because now what's the... Well, let me ask you guys this. Why is it so important for a group to deal with their sin ongoingly and regularly? Because you're always sitting. Okay, we're always sitting. We're getting ready to answer. Can't grow bitterness. Can't grow bitterness. Can't grow bitterness. Causing humility. Humility, division. The thing I was thinking about today, I think because we are so inept at dealing with like confrontation and sin, is that it forces us to learn again what this looks like to deal with the junk that's going on in our lives. Now, if you knew that, like, let's say, Jared, you know, as one of the elders here, if you knew, like, next time you're over at Pongo's, and he knew that there was something between you guys in any way. And he just sat there and looked at you guys and said, Until you guys deal with your crap, we're not going to take the Lord's Supper. I mean, it would be one of those things. It's a good idea. Yeah. But that is it's a side of it where it's like, that means we take this thing seriously. Now, part of it, the beauty of it is, is we deal with our sin. Now, right after dealing with our sin, we take the Lord's Supper that says, That sin has been forgiven forever. It's, a, it's this rhythm of a church that you start doing this within it. It's like, no way, that's what it's about. Now, back to Corinth. In verses 17 through 22, the great sin that's happening here is division. All right? The division that's happening between them is a rich and poor issue. Now, zoom forward. Why is he so mad? What does the table look like in, in the, it, when they, we sit at the Feast of the Lamb? What's that table going to look like? Is there going to be division between the rich and the poor? No. So therefore, should we have division inside of the table that we're sitting at now? No. Heck no. And so he's saying, this is the problem I have, is that the rich people are taking advantage of their richness, and we'll talk about what that means, 
at the expense of the poor that don't have anything. Now, at this time, generally the rich people would work from about, um, say, 8 or, or 9 o'clock in the morning till about noon or 1. That was their work day. And so in it, you can just imagine, right, all the rich people get done, and they've also got all the food and all the good drink. And so they show up around 1 o'clock, right? And it's like, well, what are we going to do? Might as well start eating the love feast, right? Well, the poor, and oftentimes the poor, and that's probably what was happening here, who were slaves, were sitting there serving the rich people all at this particular time when they should have been actually, and he's going to say later, wait, like wait for it to take place. And so you can just imagine, right, the poor people are going back and going, now this food is going to be gone by the time that we actually get to the point where we're going to actually be able to enjoy the food. It's going to be all gone. So, yeah, 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 yeah. And the rich people are, you know, sitting over there going, man, I can't believe he complains. My gosh, I paid his salary. What's his problem? But, you know, it's just all these things that are starting to happen within it. And Paul's like, that don't work for me. In fact, that somebody asked me about this, verse 17. I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. I mean, what he's saying to him is, is you're better off not to do this. If that's how it's going to be, don't do it. Don't do it at all. Cash it in because you're messing up. And it, the key issue is all throughout 1 Corinthians, that's not displaying God well in the world. Because when I come, to, when you come together as Christians, we get rid of all socioeconomic backgrounds. We get rid of gender realities. We get rid of... of um, color and language and pick whatever it is this is one place where that does not happen Jesus' Christ, Jesus Christ's work doesn't allow that now he's going to go in there though now watch what he says in, in starting in verse 18 when you come together I hear there's divisions among you and I believe it in part now watch this for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized now what's he saying He's saying, look, we're going to fight for unity, but we're not going to ever have it perfectly. But when we start to deal with sin over and over again, eventually, and Jesus promised there would be sheep and goats, there would be uh, wheat and tares, there would be all these different groups of people, eventually they're going to be identified. And 1 Corinthians 5 says, if you ever start getting these people that aren't dealing with sin, what does he say to do with them? Cut them out. Turn them over to who? Satan. Satan. In other words, if you practice this reality of dealing with your sin, of coming together acting like this, is that the wheat will rise up, but so will the tares, and you'll start seeing those amongst you that are genuine, but also the other side of it, you'll see that they're also what? Not genuine. He says that's what divisions do. You're going to have them, and it's going to identify that within you. He goes on, he says this. When you come together, this is not Jesus' supper that you're eating. Now, here's where this, you kind of have to look into this to understand it, especially why he says on the night he was betrayed. On one end, you have what he said is the ideal of all these people coming together and thinking about other people. Now, just imagine this for a second. Imagine if all these people, especially the rich people, came in and they looked at their slaves and they said, Slaves, sit down. We'll serve you. We'll wash your feet. We'll take care of you. Here's all the good food. Let us be servants to you. That looks like Jesus' supper. Now, going through the motions and coming in and taking advantage of others, that doesn't look like Jesus anymore. That starts to look like the one who betrayed. In other words, y'all are celebrating whose supper? Judas' supper. 
Now, what would the early church have felt like if Paul said, you are celebrating Judas' supper? What would they have, how they, would they have react, reacted to that? Not very well. Okay, not very well. <clears throat> Why wouldn't they have reacted well? Because of betrayer. It was so fresh. It was yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fresh, so what? Fake, selfish. Greedy. Yeah. And that's Paul's point. He's like, do you all get that you look like Judas? Like you all should be Jesus to one another. That's what Paul's promised, right? 1 Corinthians 2.16. You'll receive the mind of Christ to act like Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus. And yet when you come together, you look like Judas. That's what you look like. That's what this is portraying to the world. And so therefore, when we don't do it correctly, he's, he's, he's talking to us. And he, then he goes on in verses 21 to, to the following. He's he just going to let them know kind of the issue that they're getting drunk, that some are leaving and not having any food. So he's just saying, this is not it, and I'm not going to commend you, meaning I'm not going to give you the attaboy. It just it doesn't work that way. Now, verse 23. Any, any questions off that first section, 17 through 22? Sorry, I was going to stop there. Any questions off of that? Does that make sense to everybody, kind of what he's saying there so far? Are you just nodding because you want me to just keep going? Or you mean it? <laughs> Did they use an online tool called Perfect Potluck? <laughs> <laughs> it was a little different. It was a, little different. <laughs> it was a carrier pigeon thing. <laughs> All right. Now, if you could just imagine for a second, right? He's, he's just got on him. And then in verse 23, and, and the way I always tell people, especially when I'm teaching this class at EBC, is imagine now Paul getting real soft there. Because whenever we start talking about the death of Jesus Christ and what happened that night, don't we all kind of go, and he says, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he grabbed some bread. When he'd given thanks, it says, that's when he broke it. And he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, again, all this is a remembrance. And, and probably within the early church, like I said, they would just stop. And they would just say, hey, everybody grab a piece of bread that's on your... Because it was just the food they were eating. It wasn't like this sacred thing that was set out on the silver tray, in which it was sacred and a special significance. It was probably just the bread on the table. Like... It's just so weird what the Lord's Supper has become in some ways just because of some of our uh, kind of our Roman Catholic roots in which we, we saw it as this thing that was wrongly mystical. And so now even to this day, right, when we pass the trays inside of our churches, it's always inside of the silver. We pass it along and we take our little cracker out, you know, and we keep it moving. Whereas they were just, they, it was on the table. And they would just grab it off the table. But the significance wasn't what the bread said on it was what the bread represented. That's Jesus' body that he talks about. He says, in the same way then, he took the cup, which would have been the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. That He's now saying, I am this cup of redemption. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, now everything was shifting. All of it was old covenant, right? When, when they established the, the reality of, of the Passover back in the... In that time, their whole calendar shifted. Everything changed, and God was saying, i got a new rhythm for you. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and goes, not only do I have a new rhythm for you, but better. This is a good one. This is a great one, right? He, he starts laying out that my blood now represents something so significant. Do this as often as you drink, he said, in remembrance of me. And then for as often as you proclaim it until he comes. But the key aspect of this is just Paul saying, this is what we do. This is our rhythm. 
This is how we operate. This is what keeps us on track on what we're supposed to be, which, by the way, I think we should be celebrating the Lord's Supper a lot. Not waiting once a month, but actually I think all of you, husbands and wives, I think friends, I think you could sit down and you could almost have bread and wine or juice or however you, know, however you guys want to do it. But can you imagine if all your meals as you got together, you said, you know, before we have our meal, we're going to do the Lord's Supper, but is there anything between us that we need to deal with? Like at all? Is there anything wrong? Like, Or even too, like, you know, like my wife and I all of a sudden we sit down and I just, I look across at her and I say, you know what, let's just, let's get in rhythm. And I need to confess some sin to you before we go into this. And so in other words, it's not as if it's like magical priestly thing that only guys with robes and collars can do. The idea is for as often as you do this, this is the rhythm of who we are, how we operate, how we move. So, all right? Any questions on that little section? Because this is the tough sections coming up. Any questions? Make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. Now here's where it gets tough. Verse 27 just says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now what does it mean, unworthy manner? What does that mean, unworthy manner? What do you think? I imagine what he just kind of just spoke to them about, about some people eating before other people are getting there, some people getting drunk while... Okay. People have gotten there. Like that seems like an unworthy. People have unconfessed sin. Okay, there's, there's a specific right. He was identifying that, but what is what's the sin he addresses there? What is the specific? They weren't doing that. What's a what's a what does he call this sin? Division. What? Division. Yes. Thank you. Now here's division. Just see that word. It's a Greek word, schismata. And it literally means to rip apart tendon, bone, and muscle. In other words, it would, they would speak of it of an animal being ripped apart. Okay, that would be the imagery. Now, can you imagine if our schismata, our division, sounded like what it looks like? Like, in other words, the idea is it's just trying, it's a word that would just create a nasty imagery inside of it. Now, the division can be anything that causes sin to be, to, to get in our way. Now, the other day, my son and I were playing with, with Legos. And we're down there and we're doing different things. And all of a sudden, and you got to understand my son. My son asks things and talks about things out of the middle of nowhere. And so we're down in front of the Legos and my son goes, Dad, why is sinning against God so, so much of a big deal? <laughs> <laughs> I create the pastor's kids. No clue. So I started to, and so I, I grabbed the little Legos and, and I... I just kind of put him in front of me, and I had two little Lego dudes, and and so I said, well, it's kind of like this, buddy. I said, see, this little Lego, it represents sin. And I said, isn't it crazy you put the little sin out there? And you can kind of still deal with God a little bit, but I said, now watch this, and I just kept building Legos on top of each other. And he goes, well, after a while, like, me and God aren't going to be able to do anything together because there's, there's Legos in the way, and I go, that's sin. That's it, buddy. That's it right there. Sin gets in our way. Now, it's not only that sin gets between me and God, but sin gets between what? Each other, right? That's really what he's after. It's not as if we shouldn't deal with our sin between us and God. Okay, I don't want you to leave here tonight going, Oh, God, I don't have to worry about me and God. No, but he's really trying to get into this sin between you. This has serious, 
serious ramifications. Now in it, in verse 27, what he wants us to get is, is that we will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? That we're guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What do you think? What is that guilt? Take a guess. We're guilty specific to his sacrifice, like he died for us to be, and for many reasons, but for us to be united. And so maybe mm-hmm. we're sinning spe- specifically against the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You're brilliant. You're a brilliant theologian. <laughs> John 17, okay, think about this. Jesus was telling God, This is why I'm going to die, so that, like, we have unity between us, Father. They might have unity between us, but they also might have unity what? Between each other. This is why I'm going to the cross. I'm going to write not only what's between man and God, but I'm going to write all of this. And when we don't fix this, they're violating the reason for which Jesus Christ went to the cross. That's why this stuff, you know, you might say, oh, it's just the rich people that are not waiting for the poor people. And Jesus is like, no, 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 this division. This is why Jesus came. He came to heal that. He came to fix that. He came to take what is skewed and wrong and and place it together. And to now go ahead and do this, he's saying, do you understand? You are violating the very reason for why Jesus Christ came. That's what you're doing in this particular moment. Verse 28. Let a person examine. And that that word literally means, they used to use it of like a silversmith in which they would... They would mull over the. They would put the um, silver inside of a of a little oven, a crucible. They heat it up, right? And as you heat up silver, what happens to it? Everybody knows the story. Impurities go to the top. Good. The dross comes up. They'd sweep it away. They let it cool. Then what would they do again? Same thing. Heat it up. Keep doing it. And the idea, this word dakamazo that's used here, is the face test. Is that I would. The idea is the more that that happened, I could look down in and I could see my face. And so this idea to examine myself, literally, to put myself into the crucible, to think about it and ponder. In other words, before you all come together, there should be this ongoing process of self-examination that happens in my life. That it doesn't happen actually at the meal, it happens before I show up for the meal. I spend time thinking about, is there anything between me and other people? Is there any sin within our body that needs to be addressed? Is there anything at all going on? That's the kind of idea that he's talking about. I'm going to examine myself before I show up, not in the one or two minutes when I'm singing a very just heartfelt worship song that helps me <laughs> to so deal with my sin in a greater way. The idea is, is not only that I look at my life once, but I look at it again and again and again and again, so when I show up, the idea is, is that we're truly in unity when we go to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's what he's talking about in that. He goes on. He says, then we do this, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, now stop. All those times that you sat there and you got quiet between yourself and you're like, oh God, I don't want to die. Make sure there's any sins or anything. Best. Please forgive me for whatever it is that I don't want to die. That was missing the point of the text. Now, when he says discern the body, in chapter 10, he calls the body the church. Chapter 12, he calls the body the what? The church. So therefore, this text probably means 
that actually this discerning is in regards to the church. the church. So in other words, next time you're doing the Lord's Supper, it's not to be done like this. It's to be done looking around and going, how are we? What's going on? Anything to talk about? And in it then, he says this, anyone who doesn't do this, who doesn't discern the body and eats and drinks, he drinks judgment on himself. Okay, by not discerning the body, you drink judgment on who? You think we ought to teach this more often? Yes. Right, how often have we actually sat there and looked around? This is why it scares the heck out of me at a church like Cornerstone. You get Cornerstone scene. You, you get in there, right? And there's anywhere from whatever, five to 800 people that are standing in front of you. And you do the Lord's Supper. And I've got to look around and go, are all of these people in here discerning the body? And if they're not discerning the body, what happens to them? Oh! Like this is where we've got to start going, uh-oh. Maybe the way we're doing the Lord's Supper isn't the way we should be doing the Lord's Supper. Like, how in the world can you do that in a room of 800 people? Mm-hmm. Is there any possible way to do something like that? Did God actually design the Lord's Supper to operate in that way? How do we discern the body in that way? Does that make sense to you guys? Like, you see, I hope you're feeling the weight of this, because now he's going to go and take it a step. Any questions on that? Yeah. What, is, what does it mean by judged? The word is, yeah, um, okay, I'm going to say a Greek word just because I sound really cool. That's actually like what I'm asking, like what is? Yeah, the word monokrino is what he uses here. And literally what it means is to, this one who peers into and examines something for its worth. Mm -hmm. So in other words now, this judgment that comes down on, it comes down and it says, and again, it's not talking about condemnation, like Mm -hmm. you're forever guilty and you lose your salvation thing. The idea is no... There is a wrong between you all. I am judging between you all. I'm looking into the situation, and y'all aren't right. Mm-hmm. So that's the judgment he's talking about. Now he's going to talk about consequences in a second, but it is to peer into something. Anacrino is oftentimes used of a judge dealing with two people in front of him in court. Mm-hmm. And there was a wrong between them, and he's c- pronouncing judgment into that particular situation. So does that make more sense? Yeah. Okay. Somebody else have their hand up? Yeah. Uh, so how do you... How do you go about taking communion at a, at a huge church? That has been my angst for about the last four years at Cornerstone. I come, Every year with the elders, I come in, and I, I know they're almost ready for, oh, here comes Todd, talk about the Lord's <laughs> Supper thing again. And it's just something, I, I mean, I think there's been much grace, and I think um, God has been, right, it, it's, we practiced it like this ever since, kind of the Roman Catholic Church was the first to institute this type of a thing, but... And I'm not picking on them. It's just it's what it is. I, I really don't think you can. And so we're about to actually celebrate the Lord's Supper, but we're going to do it this way as whoever shows up. It's great, but I, I'm, I'm writing something right now for our whole church saying, before you come, just understand you need to deal with any sin before you come in. And if we find out there's some of you that show up that have sin between you and you haven't dealt with it, we will be coming to talk to you. Because we don't want to eat and drink judgment on one another and how we do this. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's way easier in a room like this. Right? Mm-hmm. It just fits like this. It's like, because I think most of you, you kind of know the crap that's going on in each other's lives. And, you know, so Paul said you find out that Jared and Mary Beth's marriage is kind of teetering, you know. 
you know, one of you might walk up and go, I'm not going to eat Lord's Supper with you because if we eat Lord's Supper together, there's going to be a judgment that's going to take place and people are going to get sick and die. So why don't you deal with whatever's going on in your marriage, right? That's the, that's the rhythm of it, though. Do you see the beauty of that rhythm? Like, man, like, seriously, what would a church look like if we just regularly, week in and week out, dealt with our sins? It would be a whole other place. It would be this group of people. It's so beautiful and so right. So that's kind of what he means. It's that, I, all that to say, question mark. I don't know. <laughs> Terrible answer, isn't it? We are shifting it, though. Like, I finally yeah. just told the guys, I go, I, I just, I can't. I'm done. I, yeah. I can't do it like this. Seems like most churches have a, a small group system of some sort that may be a potential solution. I think that's the best place to do it. Mm-hmm. Definitely, like in a group this size, is where it's supposed to be done. So. And would you? I've often hesitated, like in a in a group, like in a church that I haven't been a part of before, if they celebrate communion weekly type of thing, and I'm I'm visiting, like well I'm a believer, and these people here are believers. Like how do I? I don't know where to. I think there's much grace in that. Like I, it seems like people would come in from out of town and they go do the love feast with everybody and they'd still take the Lord's Supper with them. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I do think. Well, let me answer that question when I get to this next verse because this is where this gets more serious. And so, do you have a first? I'm just trying to think of like what it looks like to transition into this, like. The Lord taking the Lord's Supper in a smaller setting, like if you do open the floor for like, hey, if there's any sin that needs to be dealt with, like where do you start with that? Like, I don't know. I guess like so do you like just why. confess it to the group or I think like because we are so us? confessionally and confrontationally like rejects because we don't do it enough. I think initially we're like, how, how do you do this? And the more you do it, don't you think the more you do it, the more you start to go, okay, this, it's like, okay, this is what it starts to look like. In other words, you're gonna have the awkward moments. Like one time I had a group of people together and I'm like, hey, somebody wanna confess sin? And you know, it was, it was mixed, it was, you know, men and women and this guy, yeah, I just need to confess something. And, were you there? That the guy said he, I struggle with lust in regards to her. You know, and it's like, yeah. That's like, I guess that's like what I'm yeah. thinking. Like, what is this? Like, yeah. private. I don't know. Like, I think there's no. tax to be had in any yeah. situation. But in some ways, though, isn't dealing with sin just messy? Yeah. And we're trying to look for the perfect way to not, you know, do it. And I just, I think there's that side of it where sometimes we're going to do it well and sometimes we're going to stink at it. But I think the more that a church learns how to practice this ongoing reality of dealing with our sin, I think we just become better. I think we just learn how not to say stupid things in the middle of a group. I think most of them learn to deal with their sin before they even came in. I think most of them, man, out of Can you imagine we're doing Lord's Supper night and that was the thing? I, mean, I was like, okay, Lisa, are we okay? Is there anything I need to know before we go in there? She looked back and then, oh, I think we're good. Okay, cool. Now we can go in. I just think you deal with this stuff before you get in there. And and that that's why he says, then we start doing this. But not until we've dealt with stuff in regards to us mm-hmm. and then we've discerned the body. We've, we also not only look at me, but I look around. Is there any sin before we do this together? 
So also, like, if you do discern sin in someone's life and, like, let's say Jared opens up the floor and, like, they just let that moment pass, it's, like, it's just going to be awkward to be like, well, actually... Yeah, like, like you've been super prideful since you walked in the door, right? Something like, you just call them out? Well, I think like, what, the way that they would often, again, the way they would do it in the early church, which I really like, is as you came in, they would just say, look, if you need to talk to anybody about sin while we're here, just walk up to them and deal with it. So in other words, you wouldn't wait for everybody to be quiet, you know, and suddenly you'd go, yeah, Pongo's being a jerk, you know. <laughs> all these, you would probably look at him, even in that, you'd all of a sudden walk up to him and go, you know what? Hey, before we get going with the rest of tonight, I just need to ask your forgiveness for something. Or he would come up and say, you know, forgive me here, he confront you. It wouldn't happen publicly. Okay, this it, is helpful. It would happen Visuals. like as you're coming in. <laughs> the thing we got to get out of is this formal way in which we do it. It was so laid back at that time. And it was so much like being at a party. And, and it was so, and again, not mean party like, you know, well, they were getting drunk. So, yeah. but, um, but it's just you're mulling and you're hanging out and you're talking and you're eating. And, but the elders would, are we all good? Before we do this, are we, are we all good? And then we, then there's, think about it. Then it moves from this thing of fear that we oftentimes do to all of a sudden it's just like, okay, now seriously look around. One day all of us, one day are going to be sitting at the giant table together with every tribe, tongue, and nation, every group of people. That's the root, root one we're looking forward to. This is the victory Jesus had one day. We'd hold the bread together and be like, yes, this is what it's about. All that confession that happened. The work of Jesus healed it, and it's all good. Right now, all of a sudden, the Lord suffers at this. Oh, it becomes this sense of like, yes, this is what it's about. And that's what I mean. I think we got to get rid of our weird understanding of the way we envision it currently and kind of go back to what I think was intended when it first got instituted. So, yeah. Um, when you say deal with it before you come in, does that mean just like ask God for forgiveness for it? Well, it could be. In other words, do it again? yeah. Well, I think it is really this. Like it's dealing with my own. Like I think really uh, ongoing that we should be dealing with sin between us and God, right? Like so. In other words, as we sin, we should. In fact, the the sooner we confess our sin to God, I would say that's maturity. Mm-hmm. The longer we extend it out, that's immaturity, right? So ongoing between me and God, but now He's more talking about here. Mm-hmm. It's like if all of a sudden, you know, between you and Lisa, there's a, there's a, something's going on, and you got to walk up to her and go, you know, you call me stupid or fat, you know, something. <laughs> you, you know, she goes, <laughs> you know, but all those different things, it's dealing with stuff between each other. And I would even say, oftentimes, right, you can just imagine they're meeting at the front door and going, I've been waiting for you to get here. I need to ask you for getting this, or, you know, I, 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 need, to, I need to talk to you about something between us. And so therefore, again, it just, it seems so much more natural. It's not this weird confessional. It's just dealing with it. And so you deal with all the stuff that's going on specifically on like a horizontal level between you guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's actually sinning against someone then? Like what if you just have like one bad thought, like, well, they said something kind of stupid, you know? Is that, yeah. Do you tell them that? Sickness and maybe death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think on one end, love covers a multitude of sins, right? So in other words, if somebody's a bonehead having a bad day, you know, and they call you a non-i-head, and you're not going to walk up to you, you call me a non I can't believe it, right? It's not like that kind of thing. It's more, it seems to be that, that stuff that's just built walls between you. Oh, okay. You're going between, and that's kind of why I use the Legos. I know it probably didn't make sense, but um, it's... it's it's dealing with that stuff that's hindering us. Mm-hmm. And so in other words, it, it could be, um, you know, I mean, I really did. I, I said something to you the other day that was so just wrong. 
and I ask you forgiveness. You know, I could tell that it was causing us to not get along. I can tell you were avoiding me, and, it's, and that's my fault. I don't want to sin against you, you know. And so it's it's the division making sin. So in other words, if I sin in my mind against you, you probably just need to deal with God. Because the other person has no clue that you sit in your mind against them, right? That's why the guy should have never said, I'm lusting over her. And that, the time I was at her, he should have just kept that between him and the Lord. But the stuff that causes division between us, that's the stuff we're supposed to deal with. So does that make more sense? Okay. Did you have something? Okay, you were looking at me like you were going to be profound. In my head, I'm going to be profound. How do you help with that? Okay, now here's the kicker. How much am I running out of time? Maybe like 10, 12, 14 minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody got but nowhere in between. Look at verse 30, okay? This is why this is so important. He says, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now you read a passage like that, and don't you want to get the Lord's Supper right? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, this ain't just, he's like, this isn't a game. This is not something that you all are just getting together and it's cute and it's something we do. It's like, no. The judgment that will come upon you will be there will be sickness. Now, there's two ways of looking at it. I'll give you my view and, uh, here in just a second. But one is, is that I personally am the one who will get sick. And we base that out of... At the, uh, at the end of verse 29, drinks judgment on himself, okay? So that would be this idea that, in other words, if I don't deal with something between me and another person, the point is is that part of God's judgment, the way in which you will know that God is not pleased, he's, his, his, his peering into things between you, is that you're going to get sick or ill, or you might even, you might even see de- death, right? So in other words, Ananias and Spira is a great example of God going, hey, this sucker, it don't work. Boof, you know, they die. Now, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is built out of kind of an understanding of God's judgment is that oftentimes the judgment didn't fall only on the individual, but fell on what? Entire group. Now, for me, this makes more sense, even though I kind of get why people take the view of drink judgment on himself and then this happens, because that's why he says what? There's a many nature to this. That there's a way in which possibly there's some stuff going on inside as far as sickness amongst your group and different things because God is peering not into you individually but into you corporately and trying to get your attention that you guys aren't dealing with what needs to be dealt with. And that's why like when you get to James 5, it's so interesting. Confess your sins to one another so that you might be what? Healed. <gasps> ding, 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 ding. Right there it is. Like, yes, this is what it's about. Confess it and we'll deal with this stuff and the sickness that's amongst you. And and one time even, like I just noticed uh, at Cornerstone, what seemed to be just a lot of sickness going on and cancer and little ones and older ones and just stuff that I'm sitting there going, what's all this? And I came in the elders and I just confessed. I looked at them and I said, look, could this be God peering into our church potentially and saying, I'm trying to get your attention. There's something wrong with you guys. We need to deal with some stuff. And you know, at the end of it, I don't know, but we still, as elders, we just all decided, man, we need to confess. We just need to have a time of confession to God and some things. And um, everybody got no, they didn't get better. Um, but I think, like, sometimes you do have to realize that our sickness might be connected to sin. Now, oftentimes we think of the death sin, okay? So that's where we go. But you ever noticed one of the greatest causes of anxiety is what? Our sin, Right? 
Sin causes anxiety. What does anxiety cause? Sickness. In fact, one of the greatest causes of sickness is our anxiety that comes from our sin. Like maybe there's actually kind of something to this whole getting sick thing. Maybe the more we don't deal with sin and the more we let it linger around, it causes anxiety. When anxiety settles in, we then have an immune system that crashes to the floor. All these things go wrong. And what happens? We get sick. And Paul's like, maybe you need to not just take medication. Maybe you need to confess sin. Maybe. Right? Do you see what this he's doing here? Isn't that so cool? How he's kind of, he's, again, he's not angry. That's right, you're going to die. You're gonna, it's like, no, guys. I deal with this stuff. He has a heart for him. He cares about him. Any, any questions off of that one at all or, or profound comments? If you got something profound, mm-hmm. just, just bring it out. Mm-hmm. Bring it out. <laughs> <laughs> Not this time. All right. does, does that make sense to you guys? Because mm-hmm. like, I don't want to leave before kind of making sure that makes sense. The other thing is this off of that text. So often people think they're making themselves worthy for the table. Are any of us worthy for the table? Mm-hmm. Wrong. No. We are what? because of what? Christ. Holy. <laughs> I don't make myself worthy for the table. Like we come in as this group of people and say, I'm worthy because of the work of Jesus. I am worthy to take of this table. And so therefore, like so many people, I need to quickly deal with my sin. I'm unworthy for the table. Dude, you're already worthy. Not because you, but because of the work of Christ, right? That's what's so wrong about this quick confession of sin thing. It misses the point of the table, a group of people that have been made worthy to, to participate in this because of the work of Jesus. Verse uh, 31. If we judged ourselves truly, we wouldn't need to be judged. In other words, y'all deal with your sin. And the great judge doesn't have to onocrino you. He doesn't have to peer into you to see anything. It's like, deal with it. Like, deal with your sin so that you don't have to experience this. He goes on and says this, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. Right? Uh, uh, Hebrews 12. God disciplines those. And he's a great dad. And he's not afraid to bring the wood to bear on our little fanny wannies to get the point across to us of what needs to happen. But watch this. He does it so that, now he's going to switch words here, we may not be condemned along with the world. Now what does the word condemn mean? Sentence. Sentence. In other words, he does this in our lives so that we won't have to be sentenced with the world to an the punishment that's to come. In other words, I'm disciplining you now as this beautiful way of not one day carrying out my condemnation on you for eternity. Also, another way of looking at it is is that people that don't want to deal with their sin pop back up to the beginning. See where he says in order in verse 18, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized? Mm-hmm. In other words, people that don't deal with their sin might be proven that they're not really followers of Jesus Christ and they one day will experience condemnation. It's another way of looking at it. So in other words, he's saying, deal with your sin. Deal with it, right? Verse 33, So then, brothers, and now here's just this very end. He's just going to say, okay, now, when you come together to eat, would you just wait for one another? You can just see him going, you know, if you've ever 
like whenever I talk to my kids and they're getting, not getting along, I'm like, just kiss and make up. Would you just deal with what's going on here? That's what you say. Come on. If anyone's hungry, and especially now he's talking to the rich, you've got plenty of food at home as a rich person. Eat there so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about other things, I'll give direction when I come. In other words, just care about one another. Deal with stuff that way. So.